0: Welcome to the Paid For EDM podcast, helping you build your business and career in the world of electronic dance music. Find the show on the web at paidforedm.com. Here is your host, Brian Hogg. Welcome, everyone, to the Paid for Electronic Music podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hogg, and I am super excited to be sitting here with Brad Macquarie, who is the Manager, Licensing, and Royalties over at True North Records. Uh, You're also part of the IDLA and Linus Entertainment, which we'll kind of talk a little bit about the differences between all three of those things, but uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Not a problem at all. So how about we start uh, with a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I manage all the statements that go out, all the money that comes uh, in for our... Uh, that that has to be allocated to our artists and our uh, producers and our publishers and our songwriters all the way through the chain nice. and making sure that all of those statements are accurate and on time. And at the same time, I'm pitching their songs to... Uh, songs that we own the publishing or the master recording right or uh, represent the songwriter on uh, to the various music supervisors producers of video content game designers uh, pretty much the whole gambit of anybody who would be looking for pre-recorded music uh, for their for their advertising or their programming nice
0: have you built up that network of people who you're pitching to over a Oh, while. I mean, what's the process to actually pitch a thing? I'm assuming you're not sending songs one by one. You're probably sending a whole collection or something.
1: Well, sometimes they're looking for something very specific, and they'll send you a brief, and they'll say, I need something to replace this song that sounds like Steely Dan, but we can't afford Steely Dan. (laughs) So can you find me something in your catalog that in the background of a grocery store scene, will sound enough like Steely Dan that, you know, the director will be happy.
0: Nice.
1: Um, so sometimes it is very specific. Cool. Other, right. other times uh, there's a lot of outreach. And especially when you're first meeting a supervisor or an ad agency, a representative from an ad agency or uh, a, a game designer for the first time, They don't really and they're not familiar with who true north records is then they want to know well what have you got so i put together sampler packs of 25 tracks at a time depending on who it is i'm pitching to and and send them that uh, usually an mp3 so that they can put it on their mobile device and listen casually over time and if something sticks with them and it, it stays in their head and the next time they're at their desk, working on whatever it is, and that song pops up from their memory, then they'll they'll contact me. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, I've been developing those relationships now for over a year in this role. Uh, a little bit more uh, outreach, as I said, going out and and contacting those people or meeting those people at various network events, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, to to get that break from sitting at the keyboard all day and crunching numbers and doing the accountant side of my role. Yes. And, uh, instead, being out there and, and getting to see new bands, a lot of these things are showcase opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. So I get to see live music. I get to talk to music supervisors, and uh, you know, really just build those relationships.
0: Nice. So speaking of uh, getting out to see bands and, and whatnot, so I mean, how what's the process then of uh, bringing an artist, you know, kind of into what you're doing, like so that you're representing them, you're pitching them, you're able to to kind of get yeah uh help them as much as you can
1: that's a really long process actually <laughs> uh to get to being in front of me it could be a very short process depending on how much clout they bring right but for the most part they have to have a product that's sellable and at that point and of course sellable is in the ear of the beholder right so yes uh sellable means that uh maybe you have a track record of being able to sell previous albums and you want to do a new album and so you approach us and say hey i've got this back catalog of stuff that you know i want to do something new i need some financing to get the studio time and the session musicians and whatever and so that's one way to approach a label another way is You know, you can send your demo out. Uh, I'll tell you, we've got a ton of demos that come in all the time and some of them get laughed at. I won't lie. I mean, we listen to everything because we're really curious. We love music and we want to hear new things all the time. So we here anyway, tend to listen to everything that comes through and uh, some of them are better than others for sure, but That's another way to at least get our attention, and if it's something where, you know, maybe there isn't that huge track record, but it's something worth taking a gamble on, then the conversation can begin from there. And then, of course, the other way uh, to start that process is just to be at these showcase events. Uh, There are organizations like SEMA, which is Canadian Independent Music Association, and. Uh, other such organizations that are constantly, throughout the year, continually throwing showcase opportunities for independent musicians to get in a room in front of a bunch of industry people and show us your goods. What's your sellable product? And let's hear it. And let's see your live show. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that was taught to me is that you have to have three things really. Uh, to get a, a team built around you. And those three things are that you have to have a, 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 a good sound, um, a very you know, talented musician. Uh, you have to have something original about you, mm-hmm. something that hasn't been heard a 100 times before, and that you have to have a good live show. You have to be able to be on the road entertaining people in order to sell records, in order to sell yourself and your brand and your uh, your sound to the general, you know, music going population. Jeez. So when you have those three things going for you, then it's time to really start looking for a team. And uh, some of the other pieces that you need to have in place in order to start working with uh, a label like True North would be you have to have management in place. You have to have a booking agent in place. There has to be. You know a, a a machine behind you, getting you out there and uh, putting your music in front of people, uh, so that there's at least a reasonable expectation of selling enough product to make back whatever we've advanced on the recording and the and the uh, the the other advertising expenses that go into launching an album.
0: Yeah. So if you've got, I mean, that whole team behind you already and potentially previous albums and everything else, um, you know, as an artist or, or a composer or what have you, I mean, do you need, do you, do you need a label at that point? I mean, if you've already, especially if you've already had a previous album you've, you've sold, is it really come down to you kind of need that advance and that finance to, to make more
1: music? That's one way. That's absolutely one way to determine if you need a label is do you need money? (laughs) that's that's the easiest question to ask and answer is hey do do you need money yeah and if you need money then you need to look for a label or you know a bank but banks don't really deal in future possibilities and the i've heard it said that uh a record label is the highest interest loan you can ever take out uh but At the same time, there's no bank in the world or financial institution in the world that's going to accept losses on an album that doesn't sell, whereas a record label will just hang on to that record until the advance is recouped, Mm -hmm. right? Whether your deal is a five-year deal or a 10-year deal or a 15-year deal and uh no matter how much money was advanced on it if it doesn't sell if it doesn't recoup that's a loss for the label and they just hang on to the record until either it finally recoups and then the artist can uh, you know revert it back to them and take it to another label or uh, it never recoups and it remains property of the label But if it doesn't sell, like, how many dead assets do you really want to hang on to, right? Right. So um, there's, there's a little bit of it from both sides. I can absolutely see how all of the costs that go into trying to get an album launched can seem more than is necessary if you're going to be an independent artist that wants to launch your own album and is only willing to spend five thousand dollars on actually advertising it i can see how why did we have to spend twenty five thousand dollars to launch this album it means i'll never recoup and but if you're if you're getting signed to a, a label then that label sees a vision that they know how they're going to exploit that that product to try and recoup that money you know, nobody spends money just to put an artist in debt. Yeah. They're trying to sell that record. Right. So, um, I see it from both sides. Like the record label is the only financial institution, again, that's going to accept losses, accept the risk of losses on music.
0: So are you almost sometimes betting on, you know, your pool of artists? Like you've got 10 or 20 or 30 or however many, and you're kind of expecting some not to recoup, uh, but the others to to recoup and then some so much so that it makes up for those others. Or really each one that you sign, you're, you're treating it as an individual kind of case.
1: Yeah. I don't think that we sign any artists that we don't expect to sell records. There has to be a sellable quality. The one exception, Maybe it's not an exception, but the the only caveat to that would be different genres are going to have different levels of expectation. So you're not going to expect to sell the same amount of Elizabeth Shepard records as you are Randy Bachman records. So there's there's going to be more spent on advertising a Randy Bachman record than an Elizabeth Shepard record because of that expectation. Right. Um, but there's nobody that gets signed without having talent and a track record. And this is their full-time gig.
0: So say they uh, you know, check all the boxes and they're at the point where uh, that you're, you're kind of ready to sign. So what is that, that process? Is there things that, you know, an artist signing up to a label should watch out for.
1: Read the fine print. Always read through every clause, really understand what it is that's being traded. There have been a couple of instances where people didn't know that they had signed over their publishing administration within a record label contract. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It just was a surprise. And that's something to look out for. How many of my rights am I signing over? What exactly is the product that's being sold or being collected on? Do I get the same percentage across the board for all of my rights, or is there a different percentage for each type of right? I'll give you an example. If somebody's already a fairly successful songwriter, and they have performance revenues, royalties coming through SOCAN, by signing into a publishing agreement, right away, half of those are being taken away off the top. And then that half is being divided up by whatever the rate is on the contract. So you may be thinking that you're going to be – your deal is 80%, but if you look through, you're actually – it's 80% of – Uh, of a half of it so you need to really take a look at that Um, so yeah there's lots of details the devil is in the details as they always say right so just make sure that you get yourself and people who are at least somewhat knowledgeable about legal ease the language of contracts to give it a once over for you uh, before you sign into anything Of course, if the record is not going to happen without this money, then it's worth it to do because it wouldn't happen any other way. And in those instances, just sign. Don't even read it.
0: (laughs) Firstborn child, uh, all those other clauses. Forget about it. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so you're, I mean, so as part of the IDLA, we were talking up a bit, uh, before, uh, we hit record. Um, so that's, uh, what where you're at, what advocating to, for the rights, uh, holders. And can you maybe tell me a bit about that organization and what they're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. IDLA represents over 40 independent labels, Canadian and international labels that, uh, it started out as a digital distribution company. So that's primarily what they're representing them for is their sound recordings. But over the last decade that IDLA has been in existence, they've added neighboring rights collection and publishing. So mechanical collection internationally, uh, a lot of, especially in canada independent labels have their own relationships with the canadian societies and organizations that protect these rights so they don't really need an advocate within canada but what what we offer is this collective bargaining with these organizations abroad or in the united states so if you have nobody collecting your mechanical and performance royalties out of the united states we can do that for you through our deals with sound exchange and harry fox agency we can administer that for you and when we sign into deals we sign into them representing multiple labels and a larger catalog and there have been times where we've been able to negotiate a better deal than the first one offered And it's the same overseas with uh, PPL and MCPS and uh, going into Germany now. We are building our own relationships with uh, different territories in different societies for master recording rights and neighboring rights. So we can advocate and administer those rights for our members. Okay,
0: And you don't, they don't need to be signed to your label or anything else. That's, that's just kind of something that's open, uh, 10 years.
1: Well, generally speaking, IDLA represents labels. So for us, there's a very small percentage that we take off. It's 9% generally, and, and that's negotiable as well, but 9% generally is across the board Mm -hmm. and that that 9% needs to be big enough that it warrants the amount of work that we're going to do on your behalf. So that's why it's generally labels that get signed to IDLA and that IDLA represents labels. There are a handful of artists that are direct through IDLA and those are either artists who were previously signed to true North or Linus and wanted to do an independent release. And so we already had a relationship established with them or they have a large enough catalog just as their own artist that it made sense to do that kind of deal. Right. Okay.
0: So I guess one thing that'd be cool to look into is obviously getting paid (laughs) and the timeline that that can take and the reporting and all that stuff. Um, I mean, for something like, you know, international through IDLA or local, I mean, what's what's the timeline to actually start getting reports back on how well a record's doing? Uh, uh, actually collecting that revenue, actually getting it paid out to artists. You know, I mean, what's it's it's not like you know, independently releasing it and then you put out a record on Friday and on Monday you get the money. Um, you know, to to pay your rent. I mean, what would what should artists expect uh, when they kind of start going either domestically or internationally?
1: Well, you got to look at the aggregates. So we get reports back from iTunes uh, and Amazon and other digital services, Spotify, for example, pretty much on a monthly basis. Yeah. If you're signed either as an artist to a label or as a label under w- for both physical and digital distribution, we're going to save up some of those reports and report them all together in one statement.
0: Okay. So
1: that's that's my primary job is for the, the labels that also do physical distribution through us. It takes a lot longer, obviously, to get a, a physical sales report than it does to get a digital sales report. What I mean by that is, you know, somebody streams something on Spotify, you know it instantly. You can see analytics on it instantly. Mm. You can report back Without actual money attached to it, you can report back almost instantly on hey, you played that show over in Germany or Australia last week, and we saw your streams double in that territory over the last, you know, yesterday or the last few days. Mm-hmm. So, you can get that kind of reporting instantly, and if you have a really good relationship with your distributor, that's the kind of thing that they—that's the kind of insights that they can give you uh, and your management team to help you plot out your next move yeah. and route your tour and add extra shows and places and that kind of thing. If people are really responding to you playing there live, then why not, right? Exactly. But as far as you know getting the money in. if it's digital only we pay out every month. So at the end of the month you're getting everything for well to be honest if you put the album out digitally you're getting paid 60 days from the day that it goes live. Okay. So you're getting paid monthly but it's a month in arrears. It's kind of like getting on a uh, on a biweekly paycheck at a payroll, you know, on a, at a company level yeah. as an employee, and you're getting paid two weeks back. You're not getting paid instantly the same week, right? So it's the same kind of setup where for digital only, we're paying 60 days back. For digital and physical, we're paying 90 days past quarter,
0: okay.
1: right? So if you had sales between January and March, you're going to see a report and a check at the end of June. Okay. Okay. And it rolls kind of 90 days past quarter on that. If you're an artist signed to one of the labels, you're seeing a statement semi-annually, again, 90 days past half. So you're seeing a statement for, for the all of the first half, uh, January to June, in September, yeah. which is what I'm working on right now, is all of my half-year statements and all of my quarterlies for the second quarter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and all of my semi-annual for the first half of 2016 are all due at the end of September. So that's when they would be expecting, you know, an email or a letter from me with a statement attached. And if there's any money owed, that's either direct deposit or a check.
0: Okay. So obviously uh, they need to live during that time. (laughs) So basically supplementing uh, through live gigs and And everything else, and you guys don't take any. uh, Do labels typically take any cut of uh, live performance?
1: Only if you have something called a three hundred and sixty deal, which is management, publishing, label, distribution, where ancillary, uh, sorry, ancillary rights, Mm -hmm. uh, which is you know the right to put your band name on a T-shirt and your band name on other things. So there's there's a lot of those deals around and if you're signed to one of those deals then yeah they would have a hand in everything that they book for you every dollar of revenue that comes in no matter what it is they're taking a cut of that we don't have those kind of deals Uh, we're strictly a record label we're not a management company or a touring company although we did i think dabble in that back in 2009 we shut down the true north concerts division okay Uh, But we did dabble in that for some time being a booking agency and a promoter But uh, I wasn't around at that time. That was before my time here so we're strictly a record label and we only deal in the neighboring rights on the sound recording the master recording rights for sync and television and the sales of the actual sound recording, whether it's on CD, digital track, streaming, vinyl, if we've produced vinyl, cassette, if we have that.
0: Is that that even a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Do you still have a player kicking around? (laughs) We
1: still have cassettes in the warehouse, it's true. That's Um, amazing. Actually, we acquired a label called Spring Hill Music out of uh, Colorado, and they came with them uh, a series of cassettes, that were only released cassette only and it's all (laughs) meditation music and yoga stuff and new age and it's all really cool and uh, there's actually a market for that we didn't know you gotta
0: be meditative to uh, deal with finding and then you know having your tape get all wound in the player (laughs)
1: well yeah I don't know there's something about analog technologies though and spirituality and resonance and those types of things so I think that's why things like You know, vinyl and magnetic tape, whether it be reel to reel or A track or cassette, those analog resonances are still going to find an audience, especially for meditation music. Exactly. (laughs) No, vinyl's going up huge. So, um,
0: do you see any, uh, you know, if you had a magic wand, is there anything you think you would think to change about the royalty distribution reporting? side of things. I mean, you've been really immersed in it for the last uh, couple of years, so I don't know if anything really jumps out that either frustrates you or something you think would be a big benefit for artists.
1: Well, there's uh, there's a few companies right now coming out that are trying to do more instant reporting, and that's something that I have always advocated for, is when I was an artist manager, I wanted to know the same day, more or less, when my products were selling, when we had streams, when we had people interested in our YouTube video, we wanted to know where they were, how to get in touch with them, right? We wanted to show up at their door and
0: (laughs) and say, thank you. That might be a little extreme,
1: but sure. (laughs) So that type of reporting is now uh, capable of being done because of the technology the technology is finally caught up to the point where you can track your your listeners, your fans and you can engage with them through those same platforms. You can amalgamate all of that data through APIs into a single dashboard and there are several companies that are doing that. There's Next Big Sound. They're they're starting to now track playlists on the streaming services because that's a huge boon now for artists is to get added to a playlist on a streaming service with a ton of followers and there's a whole team of people here who do that who pitch our music to those major playlists Uh, that's something that idla does for its members as well is playlisting and being able to see when your songs get added To a playlist almost instantly and and what that's going to do for you and then knowing that, okay, I know that I'm going to have all these people listening, let me do something and it's specifically the the listeners or the followers of that playlist are in this territory, let me go and do a show in that territory in the next three months to capitalize on this being added to this playlist with 2 million followers, you know, like that kind of information is now starting to become available in an instant to artist managers, record labels, industry people who have the coin to be able to subscribe to those types of data services. At some point down the road, it's going to be available to the everyman and to the the independent. But right now, there's a bit of a early adopter phenomenon going on with it where it's a fairly high price point to buy into something like SoundScan or BuzzAngle or... You know, there's a lot of uh, different services that are coming out. So once you've kind of got that that data in the hands of the independent artist, I feel like that's going to really allow you to know where you're resonating, allow you to target your efforts and your dollars because they're so limited as an independent, yep. and mm-hmm. be able to hopefully break through the noise. It's one of the things that keeps being said is we now – kind of live in the echo chamber era of music, where there's so much independent music that's available to everybody at all times, everywhere in the world. How do you find new music that you love? How, how are people discovering it? And who are the curators that are putting it in their, in their ears? So having that kind of data analytics is really, what I think needs to advance a little bit more Uh, when you ask about what needs to change. That's something that I'm really excited about coming down the pipe.
0: Absolutely. Do you think uh, country barriers, like could you ever see a global kind of rights database or a global, or do you think each country and territory seems to have their own kind of unique issues that aren't going to change anytime soon?
1: Well, it's funny that you bring this up again. Now I know we talked about this earlier, but the Canadian Ministry of Heritage and Culture is asking the public and the and the music industry at large right now for their input on how CanCon regulations can adapt to the digital world, to the digital marketplace. Obviously, with terrestrial radio, it was fairly easy to put restrictions, government restrictions, on how much international content could be played on local radio stations, domestic radio stations.
0: Yeah, or video as well, right? Uh, much music and all that.
1: Does much music even play music?
0: <laughs> Probably not. I don't, I don't they, know. They play The Hills
1: and uh, Other MTV The Bachelor. Shows. And, yeah.
0: Which needs sync licensing. So Well,
1: <laughs> uh, at some point there's music in some of those. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But... But uh, yeah, so they're asking like, how can how can we help Canadian culture continue to thrive in the same way that we have since the the '70s with CanCon regulations and the Juno Awards and all of those things that came out in that time when Canadian music really started to take a, a on an identity of its own with Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot and those guys breaking out of the mold and how can we continue to to carry that torch forward for our for our locals uh for our domestic artists into the future um it's an interesting problem because by definition the internet is borderless it's it's access to anywhere from anywhere and It's really helped people discover music outside of Canada. And if you want, you can listen to not a single Canadian band which is the first time in generations when that's been possible in in Canada. Of course, music generations are only like five years apart now, right? It's like, I don't listen to any of the same music that some of my coworkers listen to who are only five years younger than me or, wow. or six years younger than me. You, know?
0: <laughs> you start humming a tune and you're like, wait, you've never heard this before, have you? Yeah.
1: Shoot. <laughs> some of the people who work here don't even know who... Anyway, <laughs> who we have on our own label is what I, where I was going right That's awesome. they don't they're not familiar I should say they know the names they know the data as the data passes through their screens sure. but they're not as familiar or they don't love some of the classics that we have uh, on the label that you know really to them it's like who
0: you should I, give them you should give them a whole day a week or something just to listen to your repertoire.
1: (laughs) Any time I give a ride in my minivan to any of these kids (laughs) anywhere, I have the entire label catalog on CD in my van because the the van is the only place I have a CD player anymore. So we get all these, uh, you know, we get a promo. Everybody at work gets a promo every time something new comes out. But I've then gone into the warehouse and gotten my own promos for all the classic stuff. So
0: anytime...
1: Mm that uh, one of these kids comes into my van. It's always like, all right, you're listening to this, uh, do set mama. Let him play. right now, Okay. <laughs> this is 1977 <laughs> platinum record. You know, it's, it's actually the 40th anniversary of it next year. You nice. know, it's one of those yeah. classics that I want to bring back and do something really large for in the, in the coming year. So nice. look out for that.
0: <laughs> and they have no choice. It's just happening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, I've, I've, Yeah, anyway.
0: (laughs) Good. So, um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Any last uh, words of wisdom or, or tips you can think of?
1: I guess my main point, how can we help each other? That's what you really have to ask yourself when looking for a team to build, whether it's label, management, booking agent. What are your strengths? what are my strengths, let's not overlap. I'm gonna work with people who have strengths in areas that I have weaknesses in and vice versa. So if my only issue is financing and maybe I need a little bit of help with advertising, then a record label is really the only partner that I need. But if I need somebody to book all my shows for me, then I'm also gonna need a really strong booking agent. If I can't even manage my own bank account, and I'm always in overdraft, and I can't even afford a $5 sandwich at Subway most times, I'm probably gonna need a business manager as well, just to make sure there's always money in the coffers, right? So it's recognizing your weaknesses there's no shame in the game. You know, you, you know what you can do. And if all, if what you can do is sing and play guitar and, and write songs really, really well, and the rest of your life is a complete disaster, then it's worth paying those people a percentage to take care of that for you so that you can keep doing what you do really, really well. And that's going to elevate everybody, right? Rising tide rises all boats, right? Floats all boats. So, Look for people who have strengths that complement your strengths and don't compete with your strengths. So if you sign a deal with somebody who is going to do the exact same thing that you would have done anyway, it's not worth paying them for it, right? Yep. And that's, that's the, the greatest takeaway or the greatest piece of advice that I could give anybody is how do we complement each other? Look for people who complement your strengths.
0: That's perfect. What's the best way uh, for people to learn more about True North and IDLA and Linus and all that good stuff? Is there a central hub?
1: Speaking of generations that don't know the references, (laughs) Linus is a character on The Peanuts by Charles Schultz. And Linus always had his blue blanket. (laughs) And he always carried his blue blanket everywhere with him, and that was his security blanket. So our logo is a blue blanket in the shape of the word Linus, and Linus is the name of the company. So (laughs) there's a Peanuts reference in there, but people who didn't grow up with Charles Schultz's Peanuts wouldn't know that that's what it's referring to. So (laughs) Linus Entertainment is just that, linusentertainment.com, IDLA is idla.ca, truenorthrecords.com is there. We have a label store where you can buy some of our products. So if you want to buy that Doucette, Mama, Let Him Play album for the 40th anniversary, there's my plug. Go ahead <laughs> and do that. We have uh, an exciting new artists coming out as well in the next month. Uh, we have Colin James uh, coming out with a new blues album. We have Laurie Cullen coming out with a new jazz album. We have Jane Bennett coming out with a Cuban jazz album. We have just things popping off uh christmas album if you're into christmas music i know this is going to be early for christmas <laughs> uh but it's coming out it's it's going to be the natalie master and danelle Leahy celtic family christmas is going to come out in the next month just in time for you to put your ugly sweaters on and drink your eggnog and uh, cuddle up by the fire in, in cozy sweaters nice. so <laughs> Uh, get some celtic fiddle christmas music on the go um you can buy all of that at at the the true north label store or the linus label store at those websites uh you can learn more about what artists are on the labels from there and yeah if you want to drop me a line my name's brad at any of those domain names and that's how you can uh, send your stuff to me or um you know ask a question I'll, i'll i'll make some time at the end of every day to, you know, help out whoever uh, is looking for a connection.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Thanks so much again and uh, all the best. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Be sure to check out paidforedm.com and let us know what you think of the show, what you want to hear, and even submit any questions you'd like answered right here on the paid for EDM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe by iTunes or your favorite podcast app.